Hey friends, thanks for joining me once again on another episode of the Bible and Life podcast. Before we jump into this particular text we want to look at today, I just want to say to each of you, I am so incredibly grateful to all of you who tune in weekly to listen to the podcast. Uh, I've been bumping into podcast listeners at various places I've been who tell me, man, I've been listening to your podcast and it's super encouraging and super helpful to me. And that's super encouraging and super helpful to me. So thanks for letting me know that. And thanks to each and every one of you, even those that I may never get a chance to meet face to face until we're together in glory. Um, And I know there's probably a lot like that. I picked up some listeners in the last week or so from Japan. And as far as I know, I'll never be in Japan. May never get to meet those people. But uh, just thanks to each and every one of you to tuning in and to listening and to supporting the show. And if you pray for me and pray for the work I'm doing, thank you for that as well. And I'm on a personal mission to help uh, thousands upon thousands of people, followers of Jesus in particular, to really be more and more rooted and grounded in in the teaching of Jesus and in God's Word. And, and the reason for that is because I believe so deeply in the power of God's Word. I know when I first became a, a believer, I was 15 years old. I wanted to start reading the Bible, and I did, and there was so much I didn't understand, and I had question marks, and I had notes in the margin, like, go ask the pastor, and there was a lot I didn't understand, and um, and as I began to learn the scriptures and grow, it just really shaped and changed and formed my life and fed my soul, and because of that, I believe in I believe in that. I believe in how powerful it is for each of us to really be rooted and grounded in Scripture. I believe in the power of God's Word and the teaching of Jesus to feed our soul and to give us life. I'm deeply, deeply convinced of that, and that's really the heart behind what I'm doing. Just I want to make that as accessible to as many as as possible so that thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands if possible, can be more rooted and grounded in God's Word so that their life can have the rich, vibrant, flourishing fruit that Jesus promises. So that's my heart behind this. And each of you who tune in each week, you're a big encouragement to me. And I pray that what we do each week as we study the text together is just an encouragement to you and a strengthening to you for your walk with God. All right, let's jump into the the text we want to look at today, we want to look at another parable as we work through the parables of Jesus, um, stories that he told to really uh, enlarge our vision of God, uh, deepen our understanding of God's ways, God's kingdom. And this parable we're going to look at today is, in a lot of ways, really challenging um, to maybe the way we think about things or we think life should be, and at the same time, deeply moving, at least to me, and encouraging as it paints a a beautiful picture of God. So we're going to be in a parable in Matthew chapter 20. Uh, It's commonly known as the parable of the laborers in the vineyard or the workers in the vineyard. And that's where we're going to be, Matthew 21 through 16. But to set that up, let me tell you a little story. When my kids were small, they went to a school that frequently had what they referred to as line leaders. So here are these little five, six, and seven-year-olds, and it's time to maybe, I don't know, go to recess or go, you know, to take a break or go to the gym for something, and the kids would all stand up, and someone would be assigned to be the line leader. And... um 
oftentimes those line leaders were selected by based on well you know which little boy or which little girl had listened well in class for the last hour or so or which which little boy or which little girl had followed the teacher's instructions well or who did a good job on the quiz or who had been polite and respectful to guests or visitors in the class and that's really an illustration of, and not that that's a bad thing that they were doing without the kids, they're trying to teach some standards, but that's very much an, uh, a typical way the kingdom of mankind works. Um, the kingdom of mankind works on who deserves it. Uh, oh, you should get the scholarship. You deserve it. Uh, you should get the promotion at work. You've worked so hard. You do a great do- job. You deserve it. Uh, you should be student body president. Uh, you deserve it. Um, you should be given the employee of the month because you have done so much and you work so hard. You deserve it. And that's really the way the kingdom of humankind works on who deserves it. It can even really be the opposite. Uh, he is just getting what he deserves, we often say, and it means he's just getting the consequences of his actions. See, you know, he or she is such a jerk, he just deserves to be treated like that. Most of us uh, work that way, where we want life to be fair. We figure you, you get paid for the work you do. You put in the work, you get the, the paycheck. You get paid for the work done. Well, this parable paints a different picture and says God's kingdom is different. God's way of dealing with people is different. Uh, God's approach to us and our needs is different. And this parable, therefore, is very challenging and in some ways subversive to our common way of uh, approaching things as we relate to people and as we relate to God. Now, even though this parable is... Uh, found in Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16, it actually grows out of the end of uh, chapter 19. In fact, the parable begins with the word for, and for logically connects it to what was said in the preceding sentences or preceding paragraph, which is at the end of chapter 19. This parable is explaining what Jesus said there when um, he had the interaction with the rich young ruler, And the rich young ruler went away sad and grieved because Jesus challenged him to give up everything to follow Jesus. And by the standards of the Jewish culture of Jesus' day, the rich young ruler, he... He was a have. He had it all. He was somebody who would have been first. He, he deserved it. He should have been a line leader, right? He was somebody who should have been at the front of the line, and yet he went away sad. That prompted the disciples to ask, or to, to really say to Jesus, look, we've left everything and followed you. Unlike him, what's in it for us? And Jesus said, You and really anybody who leaves behind their life and follows and gathers around Jesus are going to be rewarded, even though maybe by the standards of culture and the standards of the world, you should be at the back of the line instead of the front of the line. And so chapter 19 ends with this fairly well-known refrain from Jesus' teaching, for the first shall be last and the last shall be first. This is the idea of the great reversal. The, those who are, by cultural standards, worldly standards, thought to be first, to be at the head of the line, to be first of the class, right? To be the ones who should be noticed, get the promotion, get the reward. The first are actually 
uh, oftentimes going to end up at the end of the line, the back of the line. And those who, by cultural standards, are at the back of the line, Jesus says, will be first. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Well, this parable in Matthew chapter 20 really um, explores and explains that idea, and that's why it begins with the word for. It's explaining that idea. And then, in fact, in verse 16, the parable ends with the very same line. And so, that's sort of the framework for the parable. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. This parable is all about that. So, with that, let's jump then into the actual parable itself. The parable reads like this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard to work. So the scene here is harvest season, and uh, the crops are in, it's time to harvest them, and the landowner himself uh, needs extra workers in order to get the work done. This is was a really common cultural experience in the Middle East of Jesus' day. Some parts of the Middle East still common cultural experience to this day, where, where people who hire themselves out basically as day laborers. They go to the town square, the market, or a, a common public place where everyone knows to gather, and then they can be hired for a day's work. Well, that's what's happening in this parable, and Jesus is comparing the kingdom of heaven, God's reign, the way, the way God rules his kingdom is like this, okay? And he's going to tell, make a specific point from this common cultural experience. Now, one of the things I just want to point out is as we go through this parable, we already see it here is, man, there's already some cultural background stuff. There's maybe even some Old Testament background stuff. There's already been some literary context stuff that we've talked about. And all of that kind of stuff is really important to studying the Bible, paying attention to context. And in my online course uh, on the basics of uh, Bible study, like how to study the Bible um, I deal with this in detail and give tips and tricks and skills and practices and principles and even some resources for how to do that. And so if you want to improve your Bible study skills, you can check out my online course on um, how to study the Bible, Bible study skills. It's available on my website. I'll put a link to it in the notes below. But we've got to make sure as we're studying the text of Scripture, we're hearing it on its terms and its culture, not hearing what we think it should say and responding to it out of our culture. All right, that's really important, and it's very important for parables like this. And this uh, particular parable just has a lot of that stuff in it. So the kingdom of heaven is like this landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for a vineyard, they agreed to a denarius. A denarius is a, a measure of payment. It's a single coin, but it was it was the standard day's wage in their culture. So this landowner is going to hire these workers early in the morning, around 6 a.m. when the sun's coming up, to go work in his vineyard for the day. They're going to get paid what everyone would expect to get paid for the day, a denarius. Um, as the work goes on, um, the landowner goes back to the town about the third hour, so three hours later, around nine in the morning, and there's still some people standing there in the marketplace who haven't been hired yet. He needs a few more workers, so he hires them, go into my vineyard, and I will pay you what's right. Doesn't give them an exact amount. I'll just pay you what I think is right or fair for you. And they were like, man, I'm just happy to have some work. And so they go. 
Well, uh, uh, about three hours later again, and then three hours after that, he did the exact same thing. And so at this point, we're getting late in the day. It's noon. Ninth hour is uh, about three in the afternoon. And so he goes and finds some more workers, sends them out, says, I'll pay you whatever is fair and right by you. Well, we get to the towards the end of the workday in this parable, the 11th hour, which uh, is right around five in the evening. The workday is coming to a close. There's only an hour left in the workday. He goes back into the, uh, the town square. There's still some people standing there in Jesus' story. Probably wouldn't be in real life. This is one of the places where Jesus' story is a little bit surprising and shocking. He's building off of cultural experiences, but he's, he's trying to make a point. And so there's some people standing there at this point of day. He says to them, well, why have you been standing here all day long? And they said to him, well, because no one hired us. And he said, go to my vineyard. I'll take care of you. I'll pay whatever is right for this final hour of the day. Um, Just an observation before we move on. I think it's fascinating that in Jesus' story, the... Uh, the landowner doesn't humiliate them further by just giving them a handout. Look, it's the end of the day. I know you need to buy bread for your, your family. Here, just take a little bit of money. Go home. No sense working today. But if you come out tomorrow, maybe I'll hire you. He doesn't do that. He he actually gives them meaningful work to do, not just a handout. And I just think that's fascinating. All right, so that's the first half of the parable. Um, is the hiring, all right? So verses one through seven in this parable is the hiring and the landowner has hired these people, all right? Now, the work is done, evening has come, it's time to pay up and pay each of the uh, the, the day laborers who have worked for them uh, whatever is right. And so verse eight says, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, pause, right there, important little detail that we need to think about. He said to his foreman, our question should be, wait, hold on, where has the foreman been all day? Because in the hiring section of the parable, who's going to to the town, you know, from his field to town all day long to um, hire these day laborers? Well, it's the landowner himself. It's the wealthy landowner who goes. Again, that's a shocking little detail that we might miss because we don't know the cultural background. That's why the cultural background stuff is so important. But in Jesus' culture, the foreman would be the one that would be going into town um, and picking up day laborers, bringing them back, putting them to work. But in this parable, it's the landowner. That's significant. Everyone um, would know, every Jew in Jesus' culture would know how the vineyard represents really uh, God's people, Israel in the Old Testament, God's people. And the landowner is a picture of God himself. Um, And in this case, the landowner in his compassion and in his kindness is actually coming and hiring people. And I think Jesus uh, tells the story that way with this shocking little change of details from reality because he wants to make sure he makes the point that God is a landowner who cares for people, particularly when we see what happens in the rest of the parable. So what happens in the parable? Well, the, the landowner says to his foreman, let's pay each of the workers the wage that they should be paid. Um, 
And he says, but I want to do it differently than what you would uh, we would expect, differently than normal in their culture where status and order is very important. Everyone would expect those who worked all day to get paid first, those who only worked an hour of the day to get paid last. Jesus reverses the order because that's the point of the parable. The last will be first and the first will be last. And so he says to his foreman, let's uh, pay those that worked for just an hour first. We'll pay those later last because Jesus wants everyone to see the point that he's trying to make. And so those that only worked one hour, those that came at the 11th hour and just helped harvest for the last hour, the landowner pays them a denarius, a full day's wage for one hour worked. Remember, he didn't give them a handout. He gave them meaningful work and he still paid them a full day's wage for one hour's worth of work, which again in the parable speaks to the large heartedness of God. The landowner represents God. And Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. What is it like? Well, it's like God being generous. He pays the last first, bestowing on them an out of order dignity that really no one would have expected. That's shocking in their culture. Um, he pays them not just a fraction of what they should have gotten. He pays them a full day's wage for an hour's worth of work. Jesus wants us to know that God is like this, that God gladly makes himself poorer to take care of people's needs. The kingdom of heaven doesn't suffer from an economy of scarcity as if God doesn't have enough, that God has enough to actually take care of this 11th hour worker. Well, as you keep reading down through the parable, the same thing keeps happening to each different group. And so they keep getting paid a day's wage, even if they only worked part of the day. So when you get down in the parable to the people who worked the whole day's wage, what's their expectation? Well, their expectation is we worked a whole day. We should certainly get more. But what did they agree to? They agreed to work for a day's wage, right? Not any more than that. And so when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled to the landowner saying, these last men have worked only one hour and you made them equal to us who've borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat of the day. Now, was it unfair? Well, no. They got paid exactly what they agreed to. They got paid what every everyday laborer would ever hope to get paid, not less. They got paid a full day's wage, and a livable wage in their culture. It wasn't unfair. This is the complaint of the fairly paid worker who can't tolerate the landowner's generosity. It wasn't that the landowner was stingy to them. It's that the landowner was generous and gracious to those who'd only worked part of the day, particularly those who only worked an hour of the day. It wasn't that he was you know, unfair to them. He was beyond fair to the others because he was so generous. So let me just make one observation. There are those, even today, in God's kingdom, who will try to tell God who he can and can't show grace to. And that's really what's happening in this parable. These complainers who worked all day to whom God was uh, just as fair as, as he possibly could be to them, they're trying to basically tell God what he can and can't do with his money. They're telling the landowner that you shouldn't be generous like that. The irony is, of course, that 
They were in desperate straits just 12 hours earlier when the landowner showed up and gave them work to do. They didn't have any guarantee that they would actually be able to buy bread for their family that night. And the landowner took them in, hired them out, and paid them a fair wage. Um, And the same thing happened with each other category of worker. Here's what I want you to hear. All disciples of Jesus will experience the bountiful generosity of God. That's the way the kingdom of heaven works. And so in the parable, as Jesus tells the story, the landowner responds like this. He answered and said to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me for a denarius for the day? Take what's yours, he says, and go. I wish to give this last man the same as you. Isn't it, isn't it right? Isn't it lawful for me to do what I wish with what's my own? Or, and here's the real problem, or is your eye envious because I am generous? Are you jealous because I am generous, the landowner says. And then the parable ends with the restating of that refrain, so the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. In this parable, the landowner, who represents God, gives the workers not what they deserve, but what they need. And that's the way the kingdom of heaven works. The kingdom of heaven works based on the bountiful, unbelievable, gracious generosity of God who gives people what they need, not necessarily what they deserve. In fact, in this parable, again, all of these workers were in a desperate situation and they were at the mercy of the generous landowner. And he was more than merciful to all of them. They all got cared for. They all got exactly what they needed, even if it wasn't exactly what they deserved. And that's the way the kingdom of heaven works. This is such an important truth for us. We all tend to have yardsticks by which we measure who people's value, people's worth, and who deserves what and who gets what and how we should respond to people. But in this story, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven isn't like that. Um, that many people who will be perceived as those who should have been at the back of the line or maybe he shouldn't even been in the line, they're actually going to get treated just as mercifully and graciously as those who culture says should be at the front of the line because they deserve it, that God doesn't always work on the basis of deserving. Um, God, the grace, as one of my um, professors used to say, grace is the opposite of fair. We don't get what we deserve, we get what we need because God is generous and gracious and what we all need is his mercy and his compassion. That the door to the kingdom of heaven is open wide to anybody and everybody because God is merciful and compassionate. He's like a landowner who in his mercy keeps going into town all day long to seek and to save those who desperately need his grace and his compassion. That's the way the kingdom of heaven works. And those of us who uh, are part of that kingdom need to make sure we're embodying that in the way we relate to people, that we're kind, that we're generous, that we're compassionate, that we're gracious. Remember, this isn't a parable about business practices, so that's not the point. The point is about the undeserved mercy of God, the overabundant generosity of God. At the end of the day... All these workers are richer because God has chosen to make himself 
poorer because the landowner chose to impoverish himself. And so even a person who only worked an hour is richer because the landowner chose to make himself poor. And that's the way the kingdom of heaven works. In fact, the apostle Paul describes the work of Jesus very much in those terms that Jesus um, chose to become poor so that through his poverty, we all might become rich in him. We experience the riches of God's kingdom and his goodness and his grace in Jesus. That in Jesus, God is like a landowner coming to this world to to rescue, to call, to bring people to himself, and to save. God has impoverished himself in Jesus so that we in him might get everything we need. We might become rich in him. And that's really the heart of this parable. And that's why I say this parable is on one hand challenging because it challenges the way we tend to want the world to work, expect the world to work, want even our relationship with God to work. Um, And it's encouraging Because it tells us, but God's not like that. God's yardstick doesn't work that way. God is full of mercy and compassion, and he extends mercy and compassion to anybody and everybody. Whoever would come can experience the abundant, bountiful generosity of God in Christ. So my friends, don't be stingy with God's grace. Don't be stingy with the love that God has given you. Share it widely. Live loved yourself and be a vehicle of God's love in this world. Live with great gratitude knowing that uh, you're not trying to pay God back and you don't have to measure up and you don't have to earn your place at the front of the line, that God himself is just generous and gracious. Live with gratitude. Live loved. Share the generous love of God wherever and however you can. And don't be stingy with the generous love of God. All right, thanks again for tuning in to this episode of The Bible and Life. Once again, I just appreciate each and every one of you and your support so much. This is a listener-supported show, and for all of you who are supporting um, my podcast and other aspects of my Bible teaching ministry through your various generous gifts, I just want to say thank you. And those of you who might be interested in supporting that way, you can do so either through my Patreon page or you can do so through World Family Mission. I'll put a link to both of those in the notes below as well. Don't forget to check out that Bible study skills course if that sounds like something that would be helpful to you. You can also check out my YouTube channel and just some more Bible teaching that way. Once again, thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on the next episode of The Bible in Life.